Hi guys, welcome. This is Pod Return to the Waking Sands, and I am Jen, and I am joined by my co-host and researcher. I'm Levi. This is a uh, a weekly journey through the lore of Final Fantasy XIV. That's us. That's what we do. That's Thank what we you. Talk about. Today we'll be unpacking the game's first major story drop Whoop. and checking out the sites in Western Thanalan. Oh, it's my favorite. Is it? Like, I, I love Thanalan. Well, me too, but it's Western Thanalan your favorite of all the Thanalans. Ooh, that's a tough one. Which region of Thanalan is the favorite Thanalan? Maybe not Western. You really don't spend a ton of time in Western after, um, after Are a certain you, time. That is where Vesper Bay is. Along. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, very much, like you're basically going from the old Aetherite to Vesper Bay using your fucking tickets. Yes. And there's like nothing in between. So, so would you call it teleport over country? Fuck. <laughs> Northern Thanalan is super interesting. It's it's a whole different biome, but also central. I think as far as Thanalan goes, is really peak Thanalan to me. It's got the works. You've you've got the scrubby areas. You, you've got <laughs> um, those those big rock clusters. It's scenic, but it's also nostalgic. I think the nostalgia is really kind of speaking through me at the moment. So what happened last time, Jen? We're basically we're 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 dumped in Uldaw. We show up in a cart. We're dumped in Uldah. We walk in. We are greeted by Wymond, who was like, hey, you're a new person. You should go say hi to the Adventurer's Guild. If you want to be an adventurer and do it officially, do this. So you go to the Adventurer's Guild. You meet Mamodi. She sets you up. She gives you a little questy quest. You are introduced then to uh, Papashan. So you go down to the dispatch yard, you meet Papa Sean, like, hey, what's up? And he's got some uh, some Sultan Sworn hanging around in the area doing some some basic scouting job. Also, I have to let you know that these guys aren't doing just general scouting. We're actually looking for somebody. So we pick up now with us heading out to look for this lady, Lady Lalira, out somewhere in central Thanalan. Very mysterious. And we find her underneath the Sultan Tree. The Sultan Tree. The Sultan Tree is a huge, squat, multi-trunked tree. This was planted by the founder of Uldah, the first Sultan, and has served as a symbol of their family line ever since then. 17 generations, I believe. And underneath it, we find a Lady Lalafell. She's wearing a lot of pink. Pink (laughs) robes, pink bandana over her head. And she is praying to her ancestors Sultan Tree, hallowed spirit of my line, forgive my weakness. My failings have cost us dear. When she hears us approach, she turns around and challenges us. Another person makes himself known too. This is a white-haired here with a curvy tattoo on his neck. This guy is Thankred, but we haven't learned his name just yet. Do we even say his name? May as well. Otherwise, you have to call him Handsome Stranger, which is what the game calls him. I think we should just call him Handsome Stranger. Behold, a handsome stranger appears. When is it revealed that he's actually Thankred? Papa Sean tells you after the cutscene's over, pretty much. Thankred tells Lady Lalira to head back to Uldah, saying that there is an etheric disturbance about. His words prove true in just a moment as a gargoyle-like creature swoops in. This is a void scent, and he ropes us into protecting the lady while she hangs back. This is a pretty basic fight right now. It's a solo instance, so it's just you and no one else in this instance together. You can't bring in other players with you. Thancred holds off the, the big gargoyle while we alternate between helping him beat down the big creature and fending off smaller reinforcements that come in to assist it. After the creature is dispatched, we find a blue crystal on the ground 
it floats up to greet us like it's it was expecting us. And in that moment, we are transported into a totally different plane. I guess, you know, what we do in real life is we black out and we awaken in in a space, uh, a time and a place we we don't know. Uh, and we're in the middle of a plane of what is looks like sacred geometry lines. And there are six points around us. One of them begins to glow. Doesn't the crystal float over to that point, like the baby crystal? So the, the crystal floats over there like, this is for me. And it starts to glow. And then up above you in this darkness, suddenly there is a vision of swirling, tumultuous storm clouds and what looks like meteors, fireballs falling from the sky towards you. It's, it's like a, it's a, it's either a scene from the past or a scene from the future. You're not sure. Um, it seems very, very foreboding. And suddenly that vision of the sky also disappears and everything goes white. And that's when you hear the voice again, that female voice saying, hear, feel, think. And now we understand that we are in the same the same space that we occupied at the beginning of the game after character creation. And this time, however, there is something here for us. It is a, a, a shard of crystal. One might call it a mother crystal. It's talking to you and introduces itself as Heidelin. I am all made one. And she refers to you as the crystal bearer. Right. She tells us that the balance of the world is tipping towards darkness and she instructs us to seek out the crystals of light in order to turn the tide. As, as she tells us that, we zoom out on the large crystal and we see other people swirling around this crystal as well besides ourselves. And you essentially send upwards out of the void. We uh, wake up to see Lalira and Thankward standing over us. So yeah, we've been unconscious this whole time. Our bodies lying in the desert. Lyra is more interested in questioning Thancred than questioning us about what happened just now. Thancred indicates that the Void Sent were probably sent by someone uh, to track her down, presumably. And he's quizzical about your recent fading spell until he realizes it was caused by our new little crystal. Mm -hmm. This seems to excite him for some reason, and he runs off to report this to some unknown party, as does Lyra. We are now standing here trying to reconcile what it was that we just fucking saw. Speaking of what we just saw, there was a, a ton of information that just got dumped on us. Let's backtrack to the beginning and start to unpack all that. So first off, Thancred. He is our first hero that we meet as the main character. These are the human stand-ins. They're, you know, they're a big populous race. They are expansive and aggressive, and they tend to cause conflicts with other races as they try and take over territory and mm -hmm. expand their empires. You know, it's classic fantasy human stuff, pretty much. Yeah. You can have special hair colors, though. You can have blue hair if you want. And they created the common language, which is spoken by all Aorzeans. There are two here options available to characters in this game. You can either be a Midlander or a Highlander. Midlanders are the most populous clan of the most populous race. Uh, the, the Midlanders generally have a, um, a, a little bit more of a, a softer appearance. Com contrasted that to the, the Highlander look, which is, I think, more distinctive profiles. Highlanders tend to be taller, and they have those dark circles around their eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like stronger jawlines, um, a little bit beefier just in general. They tend to, to utilize the Highlander here's for some of the like scarier folk you encounter in the beginning. 
Highlanders, of course, come from the Highlands, as opposed to Midlanders, which... Come from the Midlands? Of course. <laughs> yep, that's a here for you. That's about all there is to say about them. There are things you can do with a human stand-in that could be more interesting, but in this case, it's just, you know, have some humans, but we'll call them something else. And this is our, this is our handsome stranger. Of course, there are plenty of good hero characters in the game, such as Thinkrid. He is a handsome man with shaggy white hair, medium length, and he's got that neck tattoo as well. It's very mysterious. He's got a contraption on his arm that looks very much like a set of uh, night vision goggles. I thought it's more like a viewfinder, like a coin-operated viewfinder. Yeah, that's fair. That's, that's a fair assessment. This device, though, is an atherometer. It allows one to discern ethereal currents. It just makes him look official in some capacity, but we have no idea what his relationship is to Lilira. So Thankred carries a single dagger. I would call him more of like a rogue archetype. He's a rogue, all right. Oh my goodness. <laughs> mm-hmm. he, he doesn't play by the same rule as player classes, though. He's got his light clothing, he's got his dagger and so on, but rogues in this game, they must wield two blades if you're a player character rogue. You must. Thankred also, he uses the paladin moveset to attack. In terms of the game mechanics, he treats his dagger more like a sword. However, I wouldn't read too much into that. I think it's just that they wanted him to have one weapon, but to carry a dagger, so they borrow the paladin moveset. Hot. He can also heal too, but again, I would not try to analyze that too much. Most NPCs... No. In- yeah, at this point, you're going to be paired up with a healer or somebody who's going to heal you because otherwise you're going to die all the time. Yeah, in almost every duty for early level characters, there's going to be some healer and because it's just you and Thankred that gave him healing abilities. So that's all we know about Thankred for now. If we ask Papa Sean about him in a few minutes, he'll, he'll tell us that he's just a ethereal scholar. Like, what the fuck is up with this guy? He's obviously, he's very charming. He's very sarcastic. This, this is a man that seems like, you know, he can, he can handle his shit. He's, you're immediately like, okay, I want to know more about this guy. And it's, it's clear, obviously, he's going to pop up in your story the, the, uh, in the future. Clearly. So no worries there. Next up, we meet our first void scent here. Sent from the void. Thank you. All right, moving on. That's a joke. Oh, <laughs> the void was initially invented in people's imaginations long before the void was studied in depth it essentially you know bad weather it's the void crops failed the void we now know that the void is a distinct realm from our own and it's entirely devoid of light either the creatures that dwell there the void scent are starved of light and they want nothing more than to devour the light from creatures in our realm yeah they sneak in via these little rifts and cause drama. These, these rifts that come in through, they can be naturally occurring. However, our good friends, the Vaki, they were pioneers of Voidcraft, and they experimented in all manner of ways to summon Void sent to our realm. And remember, Jen, that the Vaki are the ancestors of the Belladians. Indeed. And I think this was a way to harness... Well, it's, it's all about war, right? It, it's all about instruments of war, it was actually a huge part of their society. It's beyond more than just martial. It was a cornerstone of the, the Vaki Empire. And we'll learn a lot more about that when we get much further on here and we look at some of the Vaki ruins we'll come across later. Cool. What we do know from them is that you know, beyond these naturally occurring rifts, we can have magi who can open up void rifts and bring void scent in voluntarily. Small void scent, like imps, they can just travel through naturally. 
However, for the larger and more powerful void scent, they need a, a vessel of some sort to occupy, either a living one or an inanimate one. Like our, our friends here, uh, they're called blangas, which are a type of Votoriga void scent. They occupy a stone vessel, and then they animate it, and they fly around, and they attack us and Thancred. So basically, they have like a, a, a gargoyle statue that they embody, and then that becomes animate. And that's how they enter from the void to Eorzea. Right. Or the to, uh, I guess the star is called Hydaelyn. Oh, good transition. Thanks, Jen. Yeah. As we have heard the name Hydaelyn here, Hydaelyn, as we know it, is the name of our planet or the star, as they call it in this game. However, it's the first time that we've heard Hydaelyn as an actual personified entity. When we appear in the ethereal sea, we see our little blue crystal float out into that runic circle that you mentioned beforehand with the six smaller circles around the perimeter. There are presumably five other crystals out there as um, most Final Fantasy games involve some sort of crystal collection or other crystal mechanic. This is not uh, exclusive to Final Fantasy at all. I remember doing something very similar in Sonic the Hedgehog. (laughs) There are six elements in this game world, which are ice, lightning, water, fire, air, and earth. And heart. (laughs) Don't don't believe her lies here. (laughs) And I believe our crystal in this case is aspected towards water. What makes you think that? Is it just the color? Because because it's going to be either ice or water. And I think ice comes up later. Thematically, there is no... Uh, tie into an element here. It's simply just the color that... The Discovery has no thematic tie into an element, but the other ones we find do have elements tied to them. So this would then give ours an element by association. But we'll find out for sure as we replay through this and observe the collection. Indeed. This is seeming like a very generic Final Fantasy story. Collect the crystals, save the world, blah, blah. And this is probably the story they were going for, the devs, when they first created A Realm Reborn. However, as we know from having played through the entire story, that this becomes so much more than just some crystal collection nonsense. The last thing here is that there are people around the crystal besides ourselves, like other people flying around. Yeah, who are these people? It's my I, thought, theory, I thought we were the warrior of light. They, they kind of play it cool as to who the player characters are for a while. And I, I think at this point in time in the game, these are the other warriors of light as well. And then the game slowly decides that actually, no, you are the main character and you're the only main character. And the other people who you play with are just generic adventurers who you hang out with. But you are special. Nice. But I, I think that at this point in time, the thinking was that every player character was a warrior of light. So you're seeing glimpses of, of other players here that would be joining you on your journey and also are chosen by Heidelin to undertake this quest. Right. Because we, we don't see anything like this, as far as I know, as we go forward. Um, it, it's possible that these were, maybe these were past Warriors of Light who for whatever whatever reason failed. I don't know. It makes you feel like, you know, you're you're not alone in this endeavor, which is comforting. Well, let's move on here before we talk around spoilers too much. <laughs> and... Uh, Head back to go see Papa Sean at the dispatch yard. Our little, our little buddy Papa Sean. Um, he and nice man. Lalira are there right now talking about something that's missing. It seems to be very important to Ulda, but they're being very opaque about what it is that's missing right yep. now. Security first. Sure. And then we're on now to a bit of a, a lull in the action for the rest of this episode, actually. 
this becomes, you know, let's let's keep the player character busy for a while, doing some adventure stuff. You know, you do the level ups. We we start very strong here with this cutscene with lots of portents, and even by the current standards, this is actually pretty exciting, I think. But we're going to spend some time kicking around before we get moving here with the main story. Right. Yeah. Uh, so you know, life goes on, but you still have this tremendous encounter, you know, floating around in your brain. But in the meantime, you're going to go on some fetch quests. So Papa Sean's like, you know, you've done a great thing and we owe you all the gold in the palace treasuries. But here's like 100 gil and go talk to my friend Sisadoa here and go deliver a pumpkin instead. Yeah, see that guy over there at the pumpkin patch? That's your new fucking job. We go over to the pumpkin patch. And, and this uh, guy here, he loves alliteration. It's not I, a Lollafell thing. No, no, no. It is. It in the beginning, I f- I remember it as soon as I had I did this quest again. I'm like, I remember the pumpkin quest, and I remembered like so many Lollafells in the beginning of this game in A Realm Reborn were doing the alliteration thing. Um, the 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 fishing guild master does it too, and it it bothers me. Like you don't need any more gimmicks for this race. <laughs> they're they're full. Um, and it's, it's so distracting. I really don't like the alliteration thing. I'm so glad they dropped it, um, or at least super minimized it further along. Would you along say in they the had an auspicious affection for alliteration? I'm gonna punch you in your face. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fist you in your. <laughs> no, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Yep. This is why we have the explicit tag. Well, all right. This is why alliteration is bad, folks. <laughs> What Sisadoa says is he's purchased a prodigiously plump pumpkin, a particularly popular piece of produce. Fucking kill me. Ugh, God, it's so annoying. (laughs) It's so annoying. Well, this gimmick drops almost immediately. It reminds me of, like, like little kids in movies who are too precocious for their own good. I just want to smack them. We deliver this plump produce to the coffer Stop and it. coffin. Yes, I understand. It's There's two C's, but that's okay. That's the name of the place. It's cute. This is a deeper wanna... into central Thanalan. Yeah, just outside of Black Brush. Little, a little little bar, a little, little tavern. So we, we have the road. We go across the bridge, which goes over a very shallow river, and we get to the coffer and coffin. This is a tavern frequented by the area's miners. The name comes from the song about a gambler that was either going to fill his coffers full of gill if he were to be a winner, or to end up in a coffin if he lost. God, this sounds like, I don't know, who, who would write a song like this? Like Clinton Black? <laughs> this is some maybe. classic, you know. Like, oh, maybe Dolly Parton, actually? Perfect. There you yeah, go. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a Dolly Parton jam. Dolly Papali. The Lala Dolly Parton. There we go. I feel his coffers full of gill if he were to be a winner. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> There, there are actually a few fates outside the coffer and coffin as well. Fates. There, there is one that actually overlaps to the interior of the, of the tavern. So you walk in and hear that like violin little bit that tells you that you're in a fate. But like I'm just, I'm here to get a, a beer or talk to a guy. I, it bothers me when the fates, the, the boundaries of the fate, like overlap into like interior spaces. I think it's actually it sets the tone as being a very lively place. That's fair. Fates are essentially like open world events that happen in an enclosed area where there'll be some some tasks to achieve that multiple players can join in on and cooperate together. It usually involves killing something, but not always. Uh, like one of the fates here is that there's like some rat people who want to come and drink in the bar. However, the bouncer's like, no, you're not allowed here. Oh, the kick errands? Yeah, no, no kick errands allowed. And then you have to help them kick out the poor creatures oh, you just want to drink. Oh, they're so cute. So many of the beastmen are just adorable. 
Um, and yes, they're they're scoundrels and thieves, and and they've probably uh, you know killed a merchant or two in in their day, but they're still very. I don't, they have a very sympathetic look to them, and it like it just kind of kills me. The, but the yeah, so fates they don't occur in like an enclosed space. What you mean is just there's like a set perimeter on the map, right? So once you enter it, you're like you can either participate in the fate or you can just continue walking through it. And the coffer and coffin, it's right next to Blackbrush Station, which is the very first stop after the rail line leaves the um, the mines. That's your first etherite stop outside of Ulda. It's very exciting. That too. It's just like a smelting yard. They smelt the ore from the mines there, and they ship it onwards. The whole area is just like a small plaza in either right, and a smelting operation built into the side of a rocky hill. Yep, you got some, uh, like a mender there, you got a little merchant there. The smelters, they use fire crystals, fire, like crystallized fire either, to melt the ore down. Pretty cool. So our pumpkin delivery is mainly an excuse to get us going on our next step of our adventurous quest. And after we drop off the pumpkin at the old CNC... The proprietor refers us to Warren with the stone torches. It seems like right now the torches are short-staffed. So yeah, let's so let's go get some work from this guy. The stone torches are a mercenary group in the employ of the Amagina and Sons Mineral Concern. They protect the mines and rails, and sometimes they hire out to the Immortal Flames if the need arises. Yeah, this is a this is a big, uh, big corporate entity in in Ulda. They're actually pretty recent to the scene. Uh, Amagina and Sons incorporated after the calamity, which was about mm-hmm. five years ago in game time. Yeah, they so get on. They got in on the ground floor. They really did. They have a lot of of holdings for how young they are as a group. Yeah, and they're they're extremely aggressive about protecting that property. Warren won't hire us until we have enough gear to satisfy his That's cute. requirements. Yeah, like all right, you you got to have some I I really like the way they like one, the game needs you to get some better gear on. And they establish that having appropriately leveled up gear is really important to how you perform. Like, oh, I can go to a, a merchant over here and, and buy a hat or some gloves or some pants. Like 20 feet away. Bam, it was so convenient. Great. Um, but it's a, I think it's a very organic uh, transfer. So after gearing up to Warren standards, he sends us to go purge a cobblin nest from a nearby tunnel. The ore storage in the tunnel has attracted cobblins which love to eat ore. Oh, these little these little mobs are so cute. They're like a little, um, a little ball of geodes, with uh, like a flappy a flappy jaw, and they walk on these very thin little tendrils, and they're just like like blah, 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 chittering around these piles of ore and, and munching on ore. Couplings here are classified as sulkin, which is inorganic material that is granted a life through magic. Yeah, their their body is literally like a, a like a burst of crystal that would form, um, you know, if you did an experiment in fifth grade with salt or, or sugar or whatever. So you you can't really hate on them too much. They're just trying to live their life, man. And I think they're really cute. Well, unfortunately, their life involves eating to the profits, uh, literally. Yep, yep. Of Amagina and Sons. So they must go. <laughs> so they must go. Capitalism uberalis. We follow the tracks down for a little bit, and we take care of those cobblins, no big deal, and uh, head back out again. All right, we go back. All right, all right, Warren, we did our first job. And now we're off to a Lala named Zuzumita. We, this sequence here is like, meet a person, do a quest, here's the next person. It's really almost, it's too much. I mean, in, in the beginning, it's welcome. If you don't, if this is your very first foray into the game, 
Um, Because you're you're being introduced to these areas. You're getting very familiar with the landscape. I'm not talking about the areas. I'm talking about just being pawned off to person after person. You do one quest for a person, then it's like, here's this next person. The Stone Torches, Amajin and Sons, these are entities that matter. And we'll see them again as the game progresses too. I would love to have camped out with them a bit and to actually get a feel for them, you know, learn the operations, learn right. a person to some degree, but it's no. We're yeah. on from, you know, like Pumpkin Guy to uh, Warren, on from Warren to Zuzumita. So it, it, this this is really more leaning into the fact that you are um, extremely freelance at this point. I'd really rather have fewer people I talk to and do more quests for them than to be passed, passed around though so much. You could do the same quest, but just for the same person versus like five different people. Yeah, that's 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 fair, I would say. Anyway, Zuzumita now, of course, another Lalafell. He's got a job for us. Apparently there are rumors of a massive silver vein beneath the ruins of Sil D. Big if true. And <laughs> an ambitious fellow named Wistan is looking to secure exclusive mineral rights to these minerals. God, he's just, what an idiot, this guy. He's just standing in the middle of the tavern where all of the Imaginina and Sons mineral concerned people are enjoying a, you know, an after work beer. And he's just like, I found a silver vein, but don't tell anybody. Well, he is super naive, but for more reasons than this, as we'll soon discover, because yeah. we do like two quests with him. I mean, we I, I <laughs> anyway, appreciate his gumption, but fuck. I'm not clear on who Zuzumita is and why he's telling us Winston's life story. <laughs> I, I, he could either be like a plant or he could be some like gossip. I, I, I don't understand his part in this. But um, I, he's not wearing breastplate armor, is he? No. He's just like some guy. He's some like, guy. I heard about this guy who's doing this thing. Yeah, definitely not breastplate. Yeah. But he, he tells us Winston's whole deal, which is that he's looking to leverage his fortune from this soon-to-be-discovered silver vein into bribes to the Sacrarium. Yeah, already, because this guy Zuzu, has he knows all of this story. He knows Winston's Weiston, like his whole goal like if more than one person and i mean more than Winston, knows about his goddamn plan then well, he's failed what, he's, he's talking he's just flapping his lips to everybody over this way to subvert the fucking syndicate that's absolutely true Winston needs to shut his mouth and keep it to himself Ugh, but there's, there's a lot so more going on right. here than just someone being way too liberal oh with for, their, for sure but oh it just makes me so angry so the Sacrarium, who Wistan is trying to bribe, apparently, according to Zuzu, these are the Thaumaturges, essentially, and Uldah. And we get the, the political lowdown from Zuzu. Uh, he, he, like, name drops people left and right here. The Thaumaturges of the Sacrarium have a heavy hand in what laws get drafted. And this being Uldah, the Sacrarium will, of course, lend their ear to whoever gives them some bribes. We'll learn more, of course, about the thaumaturges in our thaumaturge class talk next week. I I forgot that the the thaumaturges were so entwined in the goings on of Uldah and its its politics and its policies. And Look I look forward to all that and more in the thaumaturge. Uh, which is upsetting because I really liked those guys, man. Anyway, <laughs> everyone in Uldah is dirty. That's the lesson. Even Mamodi. Well, I mean, she's got a business to run. She she can't do that with like pristine, with spotless hands. We also hear that a Lord Lodorito is another notable donor to the Sacrarium. His involvement in this whole deal is not yet clear, but we gather he's part of the syndicate, who are, of course, the true rulers of Ulda. Mm-hmm. And Zuzu is concerned that Wistan may be stirring up trouble by trying to compete with the syndicate <laughs> for the Sacrarium's y- ear. You think? You think? And now, now that at least three people know about this plot, and he's probably just 
going on and on about it at the tavern. Like, though I'm, I'm mad because this guy could have enacted real change, okay? This could have been his way in, but he fucked it up by being a dumbass. He, he's far too uncanny to compete in Uldah. He, he never had a chance. Not with that attitude. After Azuzu's like, this is the worst idea ever, and here's why, he's like, hey, Wiston's down by the coffer and coffin. Why don't she go see if he's hiring? And we have no choice but to accept this awful, yeah, awful idea. Let me let me get <laughs> right up on this guy's stupid ass plans. Wiston, we find in the coffer and coffin, he's a hero that looks like adult Harry Potter. With the glasses and everything. Yeah. Yep. And he's showing off his lack of chest hair oh, to a great baby. degree. He's a little baby. When we find him, he's like, sorry, no more positions available, but you can get these cookies <laughs> to these children that keep following me around. Wow, that's... Yep, thanks. That's that's a very similar job that you've... And I'm now I'm giving cookies so the game, to So the game's like, we have 45 seconds to tell a story, so we're going to have these children tell you how gritty he is while you give them cookies. So you, you have some pathos. Right. Like, oh, what a nice guy this is. He's got these little, they call them starvelings. These four little starvelings that follow him around. Oh, Mr. Mr. Weiston, he's so good to us. And then we go back to talk to him. He's like, you know, I'm so great and I'm going to help out all the refugees and make yeah. a real change in the world. Yeah. I mean, like, God bless you. And then the people he hired before us, the Brass Blades, run oh, in. Oh, as soon as he said, like, oh, I've even enlisted some, I'm like, are you, are you this stupid? The answer is yes, he is. My God, I'm just... And, and the oh. blades are like, we found the thing. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. Why don't you come watch me, you know, get rich. Yeah, come on out to the uh, to the to the abandoned ruins here, Mr. Whiston, and we're gonna we're gonna do this together. He's not paying us, but we're here to see what happens, I guess. We're here for the ride. We reach the Sildi ruins. In the game, it's some crumbling arches and columns are leaning up against a cliffside. The area is called the Sildi Excavation Site. So presumably much of the city is buried. However, breaking news, Jen, as of the just recent live letter last week, we are getting a Sildi dungeon. Oh, so, shit. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. That's awesome. Right? Finally, we get to get in there. Anyway, surprise, surprise, this is a trap. The, no. The brass blades are doing their thing, and they set up this crazy scheme to lure in anyone who wants to try and challenge the syndicate. And now they're going to kill Wiston and us for being involved. It, it be, and he basically calls us all out for being dumb. Like, yeah, it's fair. Yeah, I mean, the Blades make fun of him for thinking there's a silver vein in Sildi. Yes, th- that is dumb. But also, like, you you created the scheme. You know, like, this is your dumb story in the first place that you put out there, that there's a silver vein in this city. The whole thing, thing is like one entrapment scheme to try and... Oh, no way. Okay, so... So what you're saying is the Brass Blades came to Wiston and they're like, hey, did you know that there's a thing? And he's like, wow, really? Would you guys like to join my posse for this new silver vein? I always thought that Wiston like somehow was able to like survey the area and there was legitimately something down there. We don't have the full story, but the no, Brass that was, Blade... No, that was my assumption. The, the Brass Blade dialogue when they're like, we're going to kill you, is that, you know, you're really dumb for thinking there's a silver vein in Sil D. It, it's was my read that this was a, a trap that they set up for him. Oh, they definitely, it was definitely a trap. Some yes. rube, like maybe Zuzu, was like, they leaked it to him and he started telling everyone in sight that there's a silver vein in, in Sildi or something. Yeah. But, you, you know, th- this whole thing seems like a very complex scheme regardless. If they wanted to try and entrap any uppity refugees, they could have probably found a better way to do so. Like maybe like a unionization meeting or something <laughs> instead. Yeah, like, and 
I don't know why they would target Whiston in, in particular unless he was going around saying like I'm gonna I'm gonna find myself a vein and make a bunch of money and buy myself a seat on the syndicate and then of course my theory is that they were trawling for any sort of upstarts and right the worst guy ever yeah crushing the crushing net. the movement before it begins yeah 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 now we're now we're we're prostrate in front of the brass blades we're surrounded during the scene the brass blades also here for exposition they drop that they're working for Lord Lolorito directly <gasps> that guy. That guy. Yeah, you don't fuck with Lord Lolorito. So we're about to go to town here with the brass blades when someone else steps in. A black-robed figure wearing a mask invokes life into inanimate stone. To set the scene, we are both... Whiston obviously has been beat up pretty badly already. And we find him trying to catch his breath. The brass blades are surrounded. We're at the, we're at the mouth of the Sildi ruins. And we're about to start some shit. And then in the distance... On the cliff, there's a figure there, and we can see him, we can hear him mouthing some words, some sort of spell um, that summons to life a massive clay golem out of the ruins upon which we stand. And now we have this 20-foot-tall massive rock golem. This is this is the scariest thing you've encountered thus far. This is way scarier than the Voidsent you just fought. This thing is huge, it's scary, and it's magic. Um, and... And the brass blades are also terrified by this, um, by this summons. So now we have to fight the clay golem. Right. Summoned by the mysterious man in black. And we do. And we, of course, beat it. We're real good at stuff. And he is vexed by our skill and ability. Like, he seems confounded that we could beat this thing. Like, what? This, this is no normal adventurer. Damn straight. A- after the dust settles here, literally, in this dusty desert... We look around for the summoner, but there's no sign of him. However... Do we see him? There's a bit where he's, like, up on top of the ruins, and the camera shows him, and the camera shows us looking up there, and he's gone. Okay. It's one of those moments. Okay. And then Thankford runs up, just barely too late to join the action. Pity. And this appearance triggers a vision in us. We clutch our head, and the old streets fade into view. Ooh, Yeah. And we see into Thankford's past now, not our own. And we see him macking on some ladies in the streets of Ulda. Oh, yeah. But he's distracted by a couple traders who are discussing Amalja attacks on their caravans. Hmm. After crystals, no doubt. So, okay, once again, we see that Thankred is, you know, as soon as a crystal is involved, he's, he's uh, on alert. He's talking to himself here, and he says that the Amalja mean to summon a primal. He goes on to talk about Dalama descending, which is causing weakening of Aether across Eorzea. So the vision, Thancred is looking up into the sky, and you can see this roiling red ball, um, which apparently is Dalamud. We'll get more into this later on, but this detail places a flashback into the time before a realm reborn begins, as Dalamud is the moon that descended and caused the most recent calamity. That vision fades out, and we transition to the... Um, the Temple of Nalthal, and he's talking about a recent ethereal disturbance and that Papashan may know something about this. This places us, the second vision, probably right before we met Thancred at the Sultan Tree. We return to reality and see Thancred on his Link Pearl. He's reporting to someone that a person of interest has just quit the scene. Presumably he was tracking our robed figure. Mm-hmm. And then Thancred's like, 
watch out for the brass blades in Lodorito and the pieces out. Yeah, no shit. And following that, Wiston also clears out of town, fearful of more attacks from Lodorito. Yeah, he's he's like, I fucked up. I got to leave town. You're not safe anymore just for associating with me. Um, I, I got to bail. And we go see Mamodi to see if she can help us keep her head down. And she's like, no, you're good. Nice. No one knows. <laughs> no one knows who you are, so you're safe. Yay. We're just a rando adventurer. Nobody gives a shit. I, I wouldn't have painted it to be a threat if there's going to be no payoff for it. Personally, if, if I were the Warrior of Light, I'd be nervous because br- those brass blades are still alive. They saw my face. I don't know. Like, that's that's not a nicely, you know, tied off loose end. It's still right. a loose end. So I, I wouldn't have laid those seeds at all if I wasn't going to use them. Yeah. Well, now we get in rooms. We do. Yeah. So we can we can rest up in a little in a little room. I don't think we can do much really in that space. Not yet. Uh, it's just a, a lot of players like to go to their in room and that's how they exit the game. Me, I'm like a, a total asshole. I'm just like, I exit wherever the fuck I am in the world. There's but a, a lot of players will like, they'll go to their room, they'll go into bed, and that's how they log out. There's and then a special cutscene when you log in that shows you getting out of bed. Yeah, and people like that. Like, this is the start to my day, and you, you're like rubbing your eyes, and you're like, ah, all right, time to go adventuring. And if you're like, a Lala nice. doing that, you know, you get up and you stretch, and then you like, do like a triple roll out of the bed because you're so tiny. Oh my God. And then you land on the, your feet and jump up in the air and like cheer. You're so they're so happy and they're so cute. See, okay, it, it makes me want to. My, I mean, my animations aren't nearly as cute, but it's very sweet, and I, I, it's a nice idea. So, well, now you're able to do that, and you can go to sleep and wake up. Uh, Mumudi's like, you're safe. You're, you're good here, and she asks if we're looking for more work, which of course Always. we are. Got to keep on keeping on. So we get kicked off to Dedanen and Horizon for our next job. Uh, we head out now to Western Thanalan. Western Thanalan is a rocky desert with a deep river canyon running through it. It terminates at the ocean to the west. Paging Brad Pitt. <laughs> it's, I don't get that reference. Oh, for fuck's sake. A river runs through it. I'm sure that's something that something's called. It's, it's definitely a thing. You don't worry about you. it. Don't you worry about it. I all won't. right, we're moving on. <laughs> um, this is where all the maritime trade comes in. Big, big port town in the desert. Oh, it's very pretty. We also see areas for future development being made too. They have like big devices. They look like oil rigs almost, yeah. but they're mm-hmm. like thumpers that thump the sand to pack it down for foundations. Yeah. Seems inefficient, but whatever. What yeah. do I know? What? Yeah, it's not like you can just get wizards out there to do it. Well, it's this giant device that's like pounding 10 square feet of sand. And then what, they're going to break it down, move it 10 feet over and put it back up again? Maybe. Maybe it's doing something else that you can't glean. Trade also runs through Vesper Bay to the west, which we'll be visiting many times. Many, many, many times. But we head up to Horizon. So we we walk down the steps from Ulda. We head up this desert road. We cross the bridge over the canyon and then arrive in Horizon, which is a little bit like a pit stop and a little bit like a guard post for the brass blades. Yeah, another little another little settlement. It's it's definitely more built up than uh, Blackbrush. And Dedanen puts us to work right away. Of course, once again, a Lalafell, as are most people here. Mm-hmm. And um, he wants us to go to the Copper Bell Mines to track down goods which are overdue. So out we go to the Copper Bell Mines, and we meet up with a guy named Drunken Stag. 
he mentions that, you know, well, yeah, I know Dadanen wants his fucking goods. I do too. Um, but there's been an incident in the mines. We can't do anything, um, which is a bummer because I had all of this amazing ore. I can't get to it because the place is crawling with cobblins and I, you know, we're stuck out here. The cobblins are not the primary threat, actually. The mines themselves, owned by the Amagina and Sons mining concern, are closed due, due to some other incident down below. Right. Yeah, there was an incident in the mines. However, their piles of ore that they they pulled out now are just, they're overrun by cobblins and they can't go in and get them. He says that he was carrying his gemstones back and he got attacked by cobblins who wanted to eat his gemstones. He <laughs> dropped them and he went running too. So, um, all right, now you got to go into the, the entrance of the mines or just outside the entrance of the mines and collect the, the ore this guy dropped before the cobblins eat it all. You're going to go right. run around and kill some goblins. And it's a fenced-in workyard that's overrun with both goblins and bombs, too, which are a classic Final Fantasy enemy. Yep, little They're floating firebomb head. Yeah, the big floating fireballs with the crown of flames around their head. In this game, they are also void sent, which is interesting. Hmm. I wouldn't have assumed that. They they don't look right? like void sent. They seem more like the, the ghost-type enemies, but nope, they are. Okay. We can also see while we're busy gathering these missing parts that there are some stone torches standing guard outside the entrance to the mine itself, making sure that no meddlers try and uh, take a sneak peek. Yeah, so and we, we don't know what the incident is. We don't... If you try to go in, there are actually barricades inside the mine. And if you click on one of the guards that would normally unlock the mine for you, it tells you that you have to go further in the main story quest to access the mines. So we'll give up for now, and we'll return to the mines to solve the mystery in some time. All right, so we collect the Nashikite, which is the, the very expensive, very rare ore that Drunken Stag had mined out. They're unrefined gemstones, not ore in this case. Anyway, you, you give him whatever you were able to find. It wasn't much, but there you go. So back to Horizon you go to finish that quest. Um, and Dadnan is like, thanks, that's cool. I think uh, my pal Fufalupa over there, great name. Uh, so he had apparently sent a courier out to Blackbrush Station and hadn't heard back from her, and he was starting to get concerned. So he asks us to go look for her. So we're heading back to Blackbrush this time. We can hoof it from Horizon to Blackbrush Station, going back to Central Thanalan. However, on the way out, we can get another taste of the Brass Blades, as there's a side quest to collect Jackal Blood and to bring it to a patrolling Brass Blade. Evidently, if you burn jackal blood, the smell will chase off any nearby beastkin, which is great, except for the fact that the brass blades are here to patrol and to kill any encroaching animals, not just chase them off temporarily. And it makes it seem like they've done their job, in which case animals come back and they, of course, attack the next innocent adventurer or caravan coming by. Assholes. So we find the courier just inside central Thanalan. She's, she's by a cactus... With her chocobo. Yeah, so nothing it. nothing untowards has occurred. Her chocobo has, uh, you know, injured his leg. No, no big deal. So she's just like, hey, can you just carry the letter forward for me a bit? So It sounds like this was an important missive. Um, and now that we're there, great, we can continue. We'll go to the Lost Hope settlement and give it to Leo Frick. And that's where we'll leave off for now. We'll find out more about Lost Hope in a couple of weeks. Next time, we'll be talking about thaumaturges. These are my people. Very exciting. And also um, interested to learn exactly how, how much they're involved in, uh, in Ulda's, uh, you know, 
the, the, the monetarists, etc. Because I, I totally forgot about that. It's my recollection that these guys are more concerned about their family business for the Thaumaturge quest. But um, I'll be digging around. There's a lot of optional dialogue as well. Um, if you, you talk to people around the quest. So hopefully there'll be NPCs there that give you some contextual clues beyond just... Oh, oh I'm we'll, sure. We'll yeah. find out for sure uh, what's going on next time. And that was episode three of Pod Return to the Waking Sands. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we were having a lot of fun doing this so far. And we will see you next time.